This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Maybe he'll see a little better Saturdays. Welcome to the program. It is uh, Thursday. The Denver Broncos will be back at it uh, or tomorrow on the preseason debut with the Arizona. The things to look for, of course, we'll go over that today because there are a lot of things to keep an eye on. But as we get to the beginning of preseason, I'm always sort of struck because we've, we've looked over this with the first depth chart, which I know, you know, in pencil, blah, blah, blah. I get it. But the Broncos don't really have that many open competitions on this roster at this point. We know who the starters are for the vast majority uh, of the positions. We know who the primary backups are for the vast majority of the positions. We're really looking at a handful of sort of depth, third string special teamers. And I think when you're a five win team, that's probably concerning but it's also illustrative of what Broncos fans need to understand uh, as to why this well, turnaround doesn't happen it, all at once. It, 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 it is exactly the point. And I can tell you right now the reason why there's no competition or the reason that there is no competition at these various uh, positions. It's because they had five draft picks this past year and they had all of two of the top 114 picks in 2022. That's the reason. And I know uh, we had a conversation with Eric Goodman a couple of weeks back, our colleague here at Mile High Sports, about how the Broncos were generally regarded as a drafting team. Now, drafting can be split into two categories. You have drafting ability and drafting capital. The Broncos, in my opinion, have been lacking in drafting capital. That goes without saying. Five picks an entire draft from a general manager who we know from his history, whether it be in Minnesota or Denver, likes to have a ton of draft picks. But they traded them all. For Russell Wilson, mm-hmm. the top ones anyway, first and second rounders, for Russell Wilson, and yes, Sean Payton. Two picks out of the top 114 the year before, largely due to the fact that they had given up so many picks, five in fact, for Russell Wilson. That's not much draft capital. Yeah, it's it's easy to forget, I think, that... That's not much draft There capital. was a trade for Sean Payton. I mean, remember that too. I mean, it wasn't just Wilson that, that they have to exactly they had right. to make a trade. Exactly right. And so as a result, it becomes very hard to turn things around quickly. It's it's hard enough anyway, but you generally have to do it with draft choices. You, you, you can't go into free agency given the salary cap and flip over an entire roster in a year. It just doesn't work that way, especially of course, as you pointed out, when uh, your quarterback is one of the higher paid players in the league. So it, it is, um, and not only that, but keep in mind, 44.4 million when the camp started was also allocated to the wide receiver position. That was the highest in the NFL. So getting around all of this, flipping it all around when you don't have the draft choices becomes really difficult. It also means that the draft choices that you make in those years in which you are short have to hit at a much higher rate than usual. 
Let's talk about some of these people, even beyond the two picks in the top 114 from the 22 draft. Nick Benito, of course, second rounder, 64th overall pick. Greg Dulcich, third rounder, 80th overall pick, the tight end. You have Damari Mathis, Wazirike, Turner Yell, Washington, Wattenberg, Henningsen, Hicks. Out of that group, there is currently, again, I know it's early in the depth chart, but I suspect this will be true going into the season. If one starter, it's Hennies. Out of those nine, and that's more than Mathis. Well, it's me. You're right. It's, 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 it's Mathis. Mathis. You're correct. It's not Henningson. You're right. It's not Hicks. It's not Wattenberg. It's not Washington. Yeah. Even on special Jonathan teams, Harris it's not is Washington ahead of uh, Matt Henningson. Uh, yes. Well, yeah, but yeah, but it's, it's, it's Matt Henningson is not going to start. Uh, Turner Yell, not a starter. Guazarike mm-hmm. suspended for gambling and basically done as a bronze. Yeah, they've already given away his number. Mathis <laughs> is a starter mm-hmm. and a deserving one, but you know, although he was better after his disastrous debut, he is, I, I wouldn't say a fixture yet. Uh, Dulcich is listed as a backup, and so is Benito. And we can talk about Benito's camp so far. Benito is still a backup, even with Baron Browning on physically and able to perform. And uh, of the five draft picks, we know Riley Moss is hurt, but none of the five figured to challenge for much, if any, playing time from the line of scrimmage at the start of the season. That's pretty barren. That's just bad drafting. That's lacking draft capital because you made mm-hmm. at least one disastrous trade. And maybe it becomes less disastrous after this year if Russell Wilson performs decently, or maybe it doesn't. Maybe it just remains a disastrous trade for the Broncos. The other thing to remind people of, and I, I think this gets said, certainly I've mentioned it a few times, but I, I don't sense that people are really grasping what I'm saying. Over the last seven years now, the Broncos have played 114 football games. As of this afternoon in 2023, the Colorado Rockies have played 114 baseball games. Okay. Guess who has the higher winning percentage? Is it, it? It's the Rockies? Of course. Oh, my goodness. As it has been for each of the last six full seasons. I mean, that's this year. This is another year. I mean. No. No. I mean, it's worse than that. But I'm just. We I, could I'm, be, I'm, the, I'm, I'm trying to go. Rockies I know baseball pace, and right? football are different sports. I get that. Six years. The Broncos have played. But, I mean, this is uh, the Rockies. This is probably likely to be their first 100-loss season in history. Six the years the Rockies have, have obviously played a lot more baseball games. This is seven years, 16 through 23 for one, 16 through 23 for the other. I understand the Broncos played no games in 2023. So I start with the fact that the Broncos, over the last seven years, have played 114 regular season football games and zero postseason games. The Rockies this year played 114 baseball games. The Rockies win more often than the Broncos have won over the last seven years. That is stunning. Wow. All right. 
Even worse than that. Wow. Even worse than that. Every one of the last six years played by both teams, season by season, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, who knows about 23. Right. The Rockies in every year have played a better brand of baseball than the Broncos have played on the football field. Every year. And the Rockies over that wow. span have gone. 87-75, 91-72. All right, that's pretty good. But since 2018... 7191 26 34 74 87 68 94 and 45 69 every year that's better than the broncos who have gone 5 and 11 6 and 10 7 and 9 5 11 7 and 10 and 5 and 12 every year so this idea that i think gets promulgated around here because the rockies are such an easy target and we they take as many Justifiably shots so. yes. at them as anybody does. But every single applicable year in which both teams have completed seasons, out of the last six, the Rockies have had a better team six times, and the Broncos have had a better team than the Rockies zero times. So wow. if, if you're wow. talking about uh, a new coach for the Broncos, well... I'm telling you, everybody thought Vance Joseph would have a winning year in 2017, and he did not. Everybody thought that Vic Fangio would have a winning year and the Broncos would be back in the playoffs in 2019, and they were not. And I say everybody, as in almost everybody, present company excluded, and we're about the only ones who need to be excluded from that. And... Certainly, last year, Nathaniel Hackett and the Broncos weren't, weren't just going to the playoffs. They, they might be winning a game or two in the playoffs once they got there. 5-12. and 12. Now this year, we're in the same things. 10 wins, 11 wins, 12 wins. Uh, not from everybody, but for a whole lot of people, we're hearing that. We're hearing it on a national basis. We're hearing it on a local basis. And I'm telling you, Bud Black's first two years... I'm going to project this today. Bud Black's first two years as manager of the Colorado's will be by multiples of whatever digit you choose better than Sean Payton's first two years will be with the Denver Broncos because the Rockies were in the playoffs both those years and played five playoff games in those two years combined. Um, Unfortunately, for the Rockies, they won only one of those games, and that was a wild-card game in Chicago in 2018. However, they did win 87 games, and they did win 91 games, and tied for first place during the regulation 162 in the National League West. The team they're playing tonight, the Dodgers, beat them in a one-game playoff out in Los Angeles. The Rockies were this close to finishing first for the first time. The Broncos haven't been anywhere near first place <laughs> going back even to 2016 when they had a chance against the Chiefs in a 
regular season game in, in Denver here coming out of a bye week in late November of that year to basically take control of the division, and they blew a ball game with this great defense that everybody keeps telling me they have year in and year out, uh, blowing an eight-point lead in regulation in the last three minutes and a three-point lead in overtime, at which point the Chiefs kicked the tying field goal and then kicked the winning field goal a few minutes after that to win a game the Broncos had no business losing, and it's been disaster after disaster, fiasco after fiasco ever since. So the hole the Broncos are climbing out of, as of right now, is deeper than the hole that the Rockies are climbing out of, and it is indeed a very big hole. Do I think the Broncos will be in the playoffs again before the Rockies get back to the playoffs? Of course I do. But I'm saying Bud Black's first two years, measured against Sean Payton's first two years, Black's first two years as manager when, you know, he actually had some players, will prove out to be more successful than Payton's first two years as coach of the Broncos. The Rockies, in that span of time, finished second once, third twice, and they've finished in fourth three times. Now, they also finished in fifth last year, and they're fifth right now. Right. So, but it's different. And the, well, I, I, and the I, AFC I will West grant has you uh, at this point teams. on August 10th that the Rockies will finish last yes. in the National Agreed. League West. They are currently nine and a half games out of fourth place behind San Diego. So in that in that span of time, one second or uh, one second place finish, two third place finishes, uh, three fourth place finishes and one last place or we'll say two, skip this year, two last place yep. finishes last two right. years. The Broncos in that span also one second place, also two third places, so far the same. And the Broncos four fourth places, which in that case because the AFC West is last. So even you're right. I mean any way you slice it, even the way that they have landed within their own divisions have been essentially identical. And and I will say this, you know, you, you can, I, I get the idea that you look at the Rockies and say, okay, baseball is a different sport. Most teams hover somewhere around 500. I get it. Even the year the Rockies uh, finished second, they, ha- they had a 558 winning percentage, which in a 17 game NFL season equates to going uh, nine and eight. So it's not vastly different. I get that. But then again, that's kind of a low bar, right? And, the NFL is a salary cap, and baseball doesn't. You can say what you will about the Rockies, and there's plenty to say. But when you look at the Dodgers in that division with their budget, when you look at the, the Giants with their budget usually in most years, uh, the Rockies are behind an eight ball by the nature of the spending in the sport that the Denver Broncos, given the, the league's salary cap, are certainly not. So the Rockies, at least when it comes to spending, have a tougher hill to climb than the Broncos do, and yet they've still outperformed them every year. Every year on in the, the basis total. of winning. Percent. That is stunning to me. And in most of those years, it's not even close. Now, I will grant you, comparing seven and nine unfavorably with seventy-one and ninety-one is a bit of a stretch <laughs> okay right it's the difference of less than one percentage point mm-hmm. obviously because 70 and 90 and seven and nine are the same going one and one in the two additional games that take you uh, as opposed to 16 
and 160 from 16 to 162 gets you a partial percentage point above 0.4375, which rounding off is 438. And the Rockies winning percentage going 71.91 is 438 and a quarter, something like that. So there's a huge difference. But in the other years, I mean, 26 and 34 versus 5 and 11, it's a pretty big gap. Uh, 74, 87, 68, 94, those are, those are bad records. But 68, 94 looks pretty damn good next to 5 and 12, doesn't it? It does. I mean, that, there's no <laughs> ifs. I, I, that's sort of shocking. That That's actually, I, I hadn't really seen it spelled out that way. But that really shows you how well, bad I, it's I, been. I mentioned this. I'll give my friend Tom Green another plug. Tom Green tweeted out last November that very stat. And that is a tribute to Tom Green's continuing connection with sports and his sense and honesty in describing how bad bad has been for the Denver Broncos. Bad for the Denver Broncos and bad for the Colorado Rockies in recent years. Not the same Both thing. Both teams in that span of time, Not, too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Only two seasons of positive either point differential or run differential, negative all the other years. Again, with the, the similarities being somewhat stunning. But, I mean, you think about the Broncos being closer to the Rockies than they are, say, the Nuggets and now, the Avalanche. I, I, I will give the Rockies the edge in this department. Hard the to believe, Rockies there it is. inclination towards self-delusion is greater than the Broncos' inclination toward self-delusion although that's pretty close i will give the rockies the edge in that department the rockies promise winning season after winning season more energetically than even the broncos do and we know in baseball how hard it is to lose 100 games i'm telling you they're gonna lose 100 games this year uh, because between now and the end of the season, they have two series left against teams currently with losing records. One, I just mentioned, is nine and a half games ahead of them in the standings. That's San Diego. And the other is the White Sox, who are awful, but that's three games out of the remaining 48 played by the Rockies, so they get to play the White Sox. Yeah. The Padres have beaten them this year, more often than not. And against everybody else, the Rockies win barely one out of every five games. You think 45 and 69 is bad. They have to go 18 and 30 or better to avoid 100 losses. You really think they're going to win 18 more games? You you go look at the schedule and get back to me on on that, folks, who are – listening along. And by the way, the Rockies finish up with seven games at home, I believe four against the Dodgers Mm -hmm. and three against the twins, two first place teams at the moment, although the twins are off on another rather lengthy losing streak. And they lost again today. If you want to be in attendance for loss, number 100, (laughs) you will have the opportunity to do so. 
in late September of 2023. It does feel like that would be the window. Boy, that, that this, this is kind of stunning numbers when you think about it, the similarities. I want to know what you think about that. 303-831-1340. Uh, remarkable to see how futile the Broncos' struggles have been in a league where it is designed, unlike baseball, for parity. Shocking for the Broncos. So going into tomorrow's game, how do they get something started? Because, right. Boy. That, that's the idea. The way this is not have, a knock at The Sean way you've Payton, illustrated this in explains, fact, I think, why Broncos fan, fan base is so fatigued. Let's, let's put a damper on some of the more absurd declarations that we have heard around here about 10 to 12 wins in 2023. It, it ain't going to happen, folks. It, it just isn't. You don't turn around six years of dreadful football in one season or one offseason. That's the case. Especially when most of the starters are the same players that only won you five games. As you have pointed out. Last year. So we'll take a look at this game a little bit and try to get a little idea of what uh, might be positive to pull out of it as they start to try to turn this ocean liner around. And it takes a little bit. We'll talk about it next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. It's all right. Well, the Broncos are hoping in the Valley of the Sun tomorrow to take on the Arizona Cardinals, trying to get things uh, off to a good start under head coach Sean Payton. Not that the wins or losses matter. It's preseason. Let's not get silly. That doesn't make any difference whatsoever. And and uh, Sean Payton will even tell you that. The coaches don't care whether you win or lose a preseason game. They first would like to get out healthy. That's number one. And then number two, you'd like to see performances from some of the players that you are hoping to have bigger roles. And so I guess I look at that initial depth chart, Sandy, and a couple things I want to look at is the return game. Marvin Mims, who hasn't had a chance to do that a lot, but we talked about this even before the depth chart came out. You don't pick a receiver on a rebuilding team in the second round when you already had your top three receivers set that have significant contracts unless you have a very particular immediate role in mind for them. And sure enough, Marvin Mims then listed as the initial uh, starter at part returner and kick returner despite the fact that Montreal Washington has been doing it for the most part. On the practice field. and the practice field. So I, I do want to see the return game. I want to see what Mims can do in that role. The Broncos have had a difficult time for years trying to find any consistency there. Uh, Mims was drafted and, you know, Mims was drafted for, for two reasons. One, to replace K.J. Hamler, which has already happened. And two, to be a special teamer. To be the return man. Because you didn't draft him knowing he was going to be your fourth wide receiver at best even as a rookie in a season in which you know you have you are still rebuilding. So I do want to see the return game. In fact, I think as, as not sexy as it is for a lot of fans, a lot of what I want to see is special teams. I'm not concerned about Riley Dixon, who's established himself as a very good punter in this league, but I am curious to see if Brett Maher is over the yips or if Elliot Fry is going to have yeah. a chance. I am curious about the return game with Mims and with anybody else that's out there. This is a team that lost a lot of one-score games. And when that happens, 
you start looking about where on the margins can you get better, and special teams generally becomes the very first part of it. But often special teams are referred to as the kicking game. Um, to me, now I'm, I'm not saying this about last year's punting performance necessarily, but even in an off year, I thought McManus is pretty good. I thought. I, I, I mean, thought, he's yeah. probably middle of the pack among sure. all NFL place kickers last year. Now they got a guy who probably, based on regular season numbers, was in the top five in Mar. Mm-hmm. So maybe they do upgrade a little bit there. We we shall see. I think you're right on, and because the Broncos have spent the last seven years out of the playoffs, I have seven things I'm looking for tomorrow night we can get into these points in more detail but you you started with special teams and i i broke it down maybe a little more deeply uh but out of the seven things i'm looking for or people i'm looking at the place kicking competition came in number four okay behind three but ahead of three and number six was the organization on special teams. I know that's a very low bar, <laughs> yeah. but I want to see if they can actually run on and off the field with the right numbers, with the right people out there, because everybody is going to get action from the line of scrimmage. And organizing the special teams, when a guy's been out there and may forget that, oh, oh yeah, it's my turn to go on special teams, that will require some organization, and I want to see how much there is because in other years in the preseason, I've seen how much organization there isn't on, <laughs> on special teams. Yeah. So I, I'm looking at that, but more importantly, the place-kicking competition, I'm, I'm kind of curious because that really will be alternated. From sure, right now? Kickoff yeah. to kickoff. Why not? From field goal attempt to field goal attempt from extra point attempt, and hopefully there'll be more than attempts. one or two extra point right. attempts uh, that, that they will go back and forth on those. My top three right now would be Wilson's rapport with his wide receivers. Okay. And again, if you blink, you may miss it. I'm not saying that throughout training camp that's a big deal, but after the season he had last year, I, I want to see Wilson in, roughly speaking, game circumstances. And I'm reading rave reviews of Cortland Sutton in camp so far. I want to see if he is out yeah. there, and I assume he will be for 15 to 17 snaps. Uh, if there is a rapport with Wilson that clearly did not exist in 2022. The offensive line, the overall pass protection, and whatever push they can manage in the running game, because we are virtually sure that Javante Williams won't be playing tomorrow night. Right? Correct. Well, that's that is, we are taking that yes as At least a the last time Sean Payton talked about it specifically, he said to expect his expectation was week two. Yes. Now, yeah, you know, okay. Obviously, he has the opportunity but to change that. You, but I would take if, him at his word. Even if and now I, I'm, I was going to say even if Williams were playing, I'd be more interested in the offensive line. Certainly, I'll take that back. I, it, I'd, I'd be more whenever 
Williams' first game is, I'm more interested in watching him than I am watching the offensive line. I want to, I want to see how he he looks. Because uh, I, I frankly think uh, it, it's it, it's next to miraculous that he appears to be as close as he is to yeah. playing in some kind of organized game where they can tackle you. Apparently, he's, you know, he's got the, someone should check his DNA, see if he's related to Adrian Peterson or something, because but that's what we're talking night, about. Since he ain't playing, I'm looking at the offensive line. Which and, will and, not have and, Mike McGlinchey. And that will be, right, I understand. But I, I want to see what's there among the starters, minus McGlinchey, obviously. And I also see what want to see what kind of depth is there. Because the 49ers are about as weak in the front seven as you can be. J.J. Watt doesn't play for him anymore, and Zach Allen doesn't play for him yeah. anymore, and they weren't very good with those two on the front seven. That It's a bad defense. I don't care who's coordinating. It's a bad defense. Last year, that defense gave up 449 points. Yikes. Uh, for those who aren't math majors, I did the uh, yeah. division for you. It's that. That equates to 26.4 points per game against. Now, I know their offense wasn't good, and they were a bad football team overall, and that's why they changed coaches, and that's why well before Vance Joseph was hired here, he was effectively dismissed as the defensive coordinator of the year. Here's that front seven, by the way, uh, on their pencil (laughs) depth chart, as you speak. Uh, Along that line, LJ Collier, Lecky Fotu, and Jonathan Ledbetter, not exactly guys setting the league on fire, uh, linebacker Zayvon Collins, who I like, Chris Barnes, uh, Kaiser White, a player who I've liked, and, and Dennis Gardak. But that's their front seven. By and large, you couldn't pick those guys out of a lineup. Oh, yeah, you could. Now, number three, I want to see specifically Nick Benito if practice performance translates right. to an organized game. And generally speaking, the pass rush, which Vance was raving about the other day, specifically his outside linebackers. He says he loves the room, one through six. Best outside linebacker room he's been in. He accounted for the fact that Baron Browning isn't able to play right now, but says he loves the room. Best room he's had. Now, has he been a defensive coordinator for many years? No. Not he had one many. year in Miami, right. and he had, what, three? Am I right? Three or four the, in Arizona. Arizona, I think it was three. All right. I could look it up, but I think it was So, three. anyway. It, it, it's and prior to that, he was that, coaching that, defensive that, backs in Cincinnati. Right. That 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 is uh, uh, perhaps damning with faint praise, but but whatever. I, I am interested in seeing Benito and how the pass rush operates generally because it should be it should be noticeable and effective against the Arizona uh, Cardinals. You were correct by the four years in uh, four years in, in Arizona. Four years. That's Cardinals. what I thought because yep. he was out here in eighteen. And he did get hired the next year. He did. By, yes, he was immediately hired by, by Arizona. Arizona. The defensive okay. coordinator. So he was yes. there for four correct. years. You're correct. And one or two of them weren't bad. I, I don't think the last two were very good. They, uh, Yeah, when you're talking, you, they were not. In points allowed that first year, they were 23rd. Then they got up to 13th. Then right. they went up to 9th in yeah. 2021. Okay. It was the middle two years. Before falling to 29th in 2022. Right. Right. So his first year and his last year were bad. The middle two years were, were good. And after that, and we'll get into this in more detail, uh, as I said, place kicking competition. I, I want to see Zach Allen. I don't mm-hmm. think we'll see a lot of them, but we'll see some of them uh, against his former mates. 
uh, the organization on special teams, and yes, the red zone offense, and I don't care who the quarterback is. I want to see if, again, they know what they're doing in the red zone. There's much room for improvement. I, I on the offensive that's side. That's going to be on the offense. Red bad. zone offense. Red zone defense was seventh in the NFL last year. Third down efficiency defensively, third in the NFL last year. Uh, seventh in defensive expected points added in 2022. That's pretty good. And um, they did keep, to Peyton's credit, I think, their secondary coach, Christian Parker, who's an up and comer. Mm-hmm. And uh, the defensive line coach, Marcus Dixon, also remained on the staff. Right. So that's why Vance Joseph is consulting with those two guys. Parker, by the way, on uh, the and basis Dixon, I believe, of the terminology the, uh, they accelerated used. Accelerated coaching process that the uh, program that the league has yeah. also put in for as well. Yeah. And, and and did you see what Mike Vrabel did this week? No. What? He took his associate head coach and he said, you're going to be the head coach, and you're going to do all the game planning for our first preseason game. I'll be watching. I don't hate that. What? Not only don't I hate that, I think it's one of the great moves I've seen. And I once I heard about it, I said, wow, that's never happened before. Think about Greg Popovich that has doing never the same happened, during but, but a couple it, games. Basketball's or, different. Yeah, it is different. Basketball's different. Nevertheless. This is the NFL and it happens to be an African-American associate head coach who will never, ever get a chance to be a head coach, I suspect, without a gesture like this being made in advance of his being hired. Because it shows Mike Vrabel, who I, I think is certainly in the upper half of coaches, and perhaps even in the top ten among best coaches in the NFL right now, that Mike Vrabel made this move for the Tennessee Titans and it isn't just one of those well, and it's kind a, it's of a smart move for uh, him. It, Don't it, you want your top assistant to be more experienced? Well, of course you do. If, if, if it's so smart, how come nobody else has ever done it or even considered it? Is the NFL doing it? and people I, I'm take forever to getting around? Saying it's an enormous it's breakthrough. Great idea. An enormous breakthrough in a league where blackhead coaches are still few and far between. I think it's a great move. Nobody ever did that for Brian Flores. Nobody ever did that for Vance Joseph. Uh, nobody ever did that for Art Shell. I'm just saying, back through the years, now, some of these people would have failed or well, sure. even like, succeeded like everybody. anyway. I mean, Mike Tomlin probably didn't need it. Yeah. Because uh, he was... It, he wasn't even an offensive or defensive coordinator. I think he's a special teams uh, coach for, for Gruden in Tampa Bay, and he had some responsibility there. But, but uh, I mean, Tomlin learned things. It maybe needed the first year to adjust a little bit and to establish his authority. And I read a story on him the other day, actually a Q&A with, uh, uh, with uh, Jim Trotter, I believe, who writes for The Athletic now. He's a great writer covering the NFL for years, terrific writer. And he did a Q&A with Mike Tomlin, in which Tomlin was very open. And in, in the Q&A, they talked about Tomlin's first year as as a head coach, where he came in and kind of acted like a madman <laughs> and tried to establish his authority, he thought he needed to, even with a veteran team. And 
the vets basically came up to him after training camp for a chance. Relax. You know, we're, we got your back. You know, you're fine with us. And the second year was different. And, of course, the second year they went to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl for uh, Coach Mike Tomlin. But I, I'm saying it's, it, it, I thought it was it's, one it's of the great. great stories I saw this week it is, uh, in all the sports. Defensive line coach Terrell Williams is yeah. going to be the, the head coach. He will be this, the head and coach and not just in a cosmetic no. sense. Uh, in Will fact, Williams, they promoted they promoted the assistant trainer yeah. too, and they're working together. Williams explained who's going to play and who's this not going to play. And he said he had this in mind months ago. He told me you can't get experience being a coordinator without being a coordinator, and you can't get an experience without exactly. being a head coach without being a head exactly. coach. So here you go. I believe more and more teams will follow suit and do this to give guys experience. And you know what? I think you're right. I think what you're talking about with Rabel here, I think that's going to be... That will help his head coaching chances well, enormously. I also think what we're going to see is that's going to become the new normal. You're going to see one, of these, so. you're going to see one of these preseason so. games coached by an assistant coach with regularity. Rabel does things, though, that very few other coaches Well, that's do. also why this is when one. you talk to NFL players under his watch, they're willing to run into traffic for him. It's also one of the reasons the Titans seem to overachieve and, every and, year. Exactly right. And it's why... Even this year, I know they don't look very good. I don't totally discount them. They're the only team I don't entirely discount to challenge Jacksonville in the AFC South this year. They're the only ones. I discount Indy, and I discount who am I forgetting? Houston. Houston. <laughs> yeah, that's naturally you forget. They're so, they're so discounted, you forget they exist at this point in time. Uh, speaking of coaching from assistance, the Washington Commanders and Eric Bieniemy have themselves a uh, situation. We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. Love is a burning thing. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Bound by wild desire, I fell into a ring of fire. Or, you know, put your foot into your mouth, as uh, Ron Rivera said it. The challenges. That the Washington Commanders are having, there, there are actually a couple, and some of, not all of them are even on the field. Uh, there's obviously some stories about ownership going back to uh, using the old name internally, even though the brand new ownership is uh, stepped in and did that. It's kind of a bad idea. You can find more about that over at USA Today as well. But we'll focus on the challenges with the coaching staff. And four years, all over everywhere, really. You know, you heard about it here with the Broncos. You heard it with uh, a whole bunch of, different teams every time it came up how come eric Bieniemy isn't the head coach yet? right and uh, you know i think we we we've talked about it i think a lot of people talked about it like well because eric Bieniemy has some baggage and part of the, the baggage is the fact that uh he very much wants to be a head coach maybe to the point where it's not necessarily great and he also has a style of coaching which by today's standards I'm glad you said that. Im, By today's in politic, and yeah. I think when you look, uh, good good comment. Uh, Sean Lashawn McCoy went on 
Colin Coward show yesterday and talked a little bit about that. And, and the quote he made that was interesting is he said, uh, quote, the thing that alarmed me the most was the relationship with the players. You have to change with the times. With the enemy, I think he's stuck in that old, back in the days where coaches were cussing players out. Oh, yeah. That's not how it's played nowadays. Exactly. And remember, he's uh, exactly McCoy, right. of course, was there when they ended up winning. Uh, they had, were all the way to the 2019 season with, yes. the, with the Chiefs. Oh, yeah. And so sure. he was familiar with that. And he, he went on to say, I was part of that Kansas City Chiefs championship right. team. And it was terrible. One of the first things I noticed is how he talks to the players. Yeah. Well, that's why he's not a head coach. And I know, I know that. NFL owners have blind spots and certain proclivities that those of us who like to consider ourselves to be reasonable people would find objectionable. Okay? Sure. And I'll leave it at that. I think most people understand what I'm driving at. However, if you are properly vetted as a head coaching candidate, Prior to your even interviewing for a job, if you are properly vetted, as you should be, right? no matter who you are, would have helped with Urban Meyer, wouldn't it? Yes. He was not properly vetted. They just, the owner was stargazing. He's, 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 he's oh, famous. Urban I know of Meyer, him. He's yeah, famous in him. Florida. I've heard of him. He won national championships in college. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a law and order head coach. He's a lot like Eric Bieniemy right. stylistically. Right. Oh, we'll bring him in. He's not suitable for for the times. He's he's not an NFL coach. He doesn't know NFL personnel. He doesn't follow the NFL at all. He barely follows the college game. So with Bieniemy, that reputation that Lashawn McCoy refers to is well established. Now, do I think Andy Reid settled him down a little bit? Yeah. Do I think he made Eric Bieniemy a better coach? Yes. But even Andy Reid can't erase the reputation, and particularly on the practice field, that's how Eric Bieniemy is always coached. There's been no deviation from it. He had two separate stints. As an assistant at the University of mm-hmm. Colorado, he wasn't any different the second time than he was the first time, and we know what he was like the first time. That's a matter of public record, unfortunately. There is also the idea that Andrew Reid was calling the plays in Kansas City, and everybody knew it. Sure. And that works against any head coaching candidate, and it should have worked against Nathaniel Hackett here. It didn't because... Again, he interviewed well. He interviewed well. Nathaniel Hackett did. And nobody bothered to mention, because he was getting all of these endorsements from people like Aaron Rodgers, right? Mm -hmm. Well, wait a minute. Aaron Rodgers called more plays in Green Bay than Nathaniel Hackett did. And Matt LaFleur called most of the plays in Green Bay. Whether Aaron Rodgers liked that or not, I don't know. Nathaniel Hackett is calling the plays with the Jets as the offensive coordinator, but with Matt LaFleur, he wasn't calling the plays. So in that sense, the Broncos didn't properly vet Nathaniel Hackett. And the last time Nathaniel Hackett called plays was in Jacksonville, and they fired him. The last year he called plays was in Jacksonville, and they fired him. With 
Bienemy, there's also some off-field stuff in his past. And I don't think, even in relation to other black head coaching candidates who were interviewed and may not have been considered seriously in every case, some cases they were, some cases they weren't, I think that baggage that you described did work against him. And now you have Ron Rivera, who's just getting to know Eric Bieniemy. Yes. Speaking out earlier this week. And from a question, probably old friend Nikki Javala now right. works for the Washington our, Post. Our old friend Nikki Javala asked him about that. And Nikki Javala is very familiar. Maybe more familiar than Ron Rivera, who <laughs> yeah. seems shocked that Eric Bieniemy, at least on the practice field, and given his exchanges sometimes with Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines during games, he's a madman. He's a madman. And he believes that coaching equates to yelling at people. He doesn't coach on the practice field. He just yells at people and insults them in the most personal of ways and it's a kind of coaching style that Lombardi imitators tried all the time except Lombardi actually taught yes did Lombardi yell at players yeah he did was he insulting and personal about it yes he was but he was such a good teacher the people who played for him could live with that and they knew they could trust him that he, and this has been well-documented, he would do what Vance Joseph talked about doing this week. He'd actually listen to players' suggestions. Now, if you suggested something that was totally bogus, that you really hadn't prepared very well to say, he'd cut you down. But if you had a good idea and some basis for it, he'd listen. Eric Bieniemy ain't out of that school. No, no. Can you imagine a running back saying, "Hey, coach, maybe we should do it this way"? Well, matter of fact, and this getting is a favorable response, and that's exactly part of what Rivera said. What quote, Rivera said: Eric has an approach, and it's the way he does things, and it's not going to change because he believes in it. Now, an interesting angle, I'll tell you by Mike Florio, who's over at uh, NBC Sports, their Pro Football Talk website made the very intriguing, and I think, quite frankly, as much as I like Mike Florio, somewhat nonsensical idea, that Rivera may be trying to make the enemy look bad because if the offense takes off, then they, the ownership who doesn't who didn't hire Rivera might move on from Rivera and just promote the enemy okay, to head coach. That's, that's nonsense. I, I that's think total nonsense. Ron Rivera coached in the Super Bowl, for goodness sake. I believe Rivera when I he said win, originally but... that players came to him with complaints about the enemy. Which he said, this isn't talk Rivera to trying to under Ron Rivera. Eric Bieniemy has a history of undercutting head coaches he's worked for. Ron Rivera has no such history of under. Why would he undercut Eric Bieniemy? Eric Bieniemy works for him, right? And why Flor- would he undercut Florio's argument? Is very simple. He, here's what he writes flat out: "Quote, it's simple. It's actually sort of obvious. The more Bieniemy gets a boost, the greater chance Rivera gets the boot, and Bieniemy gets the job. Uh, that's that one seems like projection." Nonsense. To me, but uh, there are challenges, of course, I think when you see any of the coaches for the Broncos, their coaching situation is at least settled as well as assistants that 
Sean Payton is quite comfortable with. The question is, how quickly can they turn this around? And as the preseason begins, what should it look like? We'll have a chance to talk about that with Fox 31's Taylor Gil- Kilgore. We'll do that next on Miley Sports. Oh, what a night. Late December back in 63. What a very special Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.